Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Book are you talking about? One in front of you. Ninth Street Women by Mary Gabriel. It's so good. You know, one of the things I appreciate the most about you is your desire to expand your mind and your engagement with art. I've learned a lot about art through you because I don't really like art or mm. care about it. What's this book about? It's about these women in these village. Yeah, it's incredible. It's actually really, 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 really well done. Um, it is uh, the women who basically lived in the East Village who changed art. Uh, Lee Krasner, Landa Koenig, Grace Hardigan, Joan Mitchell, and Helen Frankenthal. I mean, so good. It's actually really good because the thing that I enjoy about it um, is that you're learning all these great things about these women artists and, you know, the men that they were with, obviously, Pollock and Koenig, de Koenig and, 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 and how, especially Lee Krasner, who I got to give a shout out to Billie Jean King, owns a say. Lee Krasner painting in her apartment. Um and uh, they were, I mean, especially Lee, she was such a stalwart in the art world back in the day. And you learn a lot about actual history and how the Nazis, you know, you know trying to take over Europe and one of the things they wanted was to control the art in Paris. And it's just, it's yeah. really, really well written and I'm very much enjoying it. But it is the size of my head. And I, I took it to Mexico and I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to read my book. And I, I did. I read it quite a bit. But, oh, my God, like, what the <laughs> fuck, Renee? Buy a Kindle. Yeah. It's like carrying a brick. Claire only buys electronic books. And I think it's stupid and lame until we go on a trip. And then you're like, hey, Claire, can I borrow your Kindle? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, fuck off. You brought well, you know, there's this thing eight pounds of books. iPad as well that you I can don't like reading on. on a screen. I like yeah, reading I on do, pages. I, I agree. But uh, this is the one book that I wish anyway. Ninth street women um get it if you if you're into art or you love history or you love anything about art history it's a terrific um read especially for us feminists i women don't get their due in the art world or any place or in the any world. place in the world yeah anyway as it turns out i want to give you a shout out because the first time i'd heard of lee kresner again not being somebody who was particularly into art was when we went into Billie Jean King's apartment. Oh, there you go. That's and right. And you, you saw it immediately. You were like, oh. Lee Krasner. And the yeah. great story behind that, but maybe we'll get that from Billy next time we have her on the show. Billy, come back on the show too. Because to, it's actually an amazing story of why and how she got the Lee Krasner painting. Let's, it's she, just typical Billy being just an awesome person. And then she ended up reaping a lot of benefits for it. Um, unbeknownst to her in a lot of ways that's such a fun billy story she's sort of like forrest gump in that way where she's bit. like and then i was living in an office next to gloria steinem and then there i was and mick jagger was there you know reading her book and obviously having spoken to her a little bit on the podcast you know her a lot better than i do but the only thing the only problem with billy jean king is when you start interviewing her you kind of can't stop and she just kind of tells you whatever oh, she's going to tell you billy's 10 times worse than you and me um as far as tangents like she's she just telling a story and then all of a sudden she goes left and you're like, Wait, where, where's this going? You're in a different country. One of country. the funniest things about interviewing her for TV, for example, is, uh, you know, uh, live TV, you got a minute, two uh -huh. up your sleeve, like you got to get to a break because that's what pays the bills, etc. Right. And, you know, you're not quite sure where Billy's going to go and, and you want to ask her 10 questions, but you know you're only really technically probably going to get two uh -huh. because she just will – tell these great stories and go on different tangents. But uh, having said that, we love you, Billy. Well, that's actually sort of a segue into something that I wanted to ask you about because um, Billie Jean King used to be a tennis commentator. 
Yes. And sh- one of the networks Billie Jean King tennis commentated for was HBO. Yeah. And the reason I was thinking about this is because HBO used to be in the tennis broadcast game. Now, you yeah. and I talk a lot of shit on this podcast. We do. Deservedly, I think, about some of the shortcomings in the tennis broadcast experience. It's coming from the place of we think the sport is amazing. There's always amazing stuff to watch in the sport. And you can almost never find it in the way that you would like to. And we are people who are determined to find it yep. and happy to pay for it. I know. It. I saw your tweet this morning. Ugh. Without going into yet another critique of how difficult this sport in this country uh, is to find, um, it was a reminder watching the new Apple Plus documentary, Boom Boom, oh, the case against Boris Becker, on uh, with all of that amazing archival footage of yes. HBO's Wimbledon. Because HBO used to have the rights to Wimbledon. Billie Jean King was a commentator. Yeah. Mary Carrillo was a commentator. Arthur Ashe was a commentator. And I just was thinking to myself, I have I, I liked the documentary in whole. I have some like thoughts about it that I'd love to talk to you about. But the ma- one of my main takeaways was just, look how much footage this is. Yeah. And, well, couldn't we just get in That's there? That's what I said to Alex. Oh, me. my God. I, I interviewed him on my show. Um, and I just told him how much I enjoyed it. And also I was like, oh my God, I could not get enough of the old footage. It was so cool. And even the story, and I don't want, if you haven't seen the documentary and you don't want me to spoil it for you, close your ears for a I second. Mean, if, but one of the things that I It's a documentary loved, though. It's not, it's well, based yeah, on I know, true events. Not, I know it's a documentary, but I didn't know some of the stuff about the history of some of these stories. For example, when Boris twisted his ankle and he said, if... I think it was Tim Mayotte, right? Yeah. If Tim Mayotte had been close to the net yes. against me in that match, as he walked, I saw him walk towards the net like he was going to shake hands. Yeah, he was about to default Tim the Mayotte's match. Tim Mayotte's back there turning around and like trying to concentrate and getting balls for his serve. And if the dude had walked anywhere near the service line on that court, which we've all done, by the way, it, when I've had somebody against me and they're like looking like they're injured and they start walking towards the umpire, you start walking towards like, them like, oh, it's over. you want to shake my hand? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You're not feeling good? Yeah. <laughs> How's the movement? He's like back on the baseline and if he had walked anywhere close to the net, Boris would have shook his hand and the match would have been over. He said that he admitted yeah. that. He said, oh, I was done. Well, spoiler and alert. And my coach is like, call the trainer, call the trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But meanwhile... Can you believe it? Like, what, three, four matches later, wins, the, wins Wimbledon and changes his whole life. Yeah. He could have defaulted a match and his coach no one would have known. gave him a signal. The other story that blew my mind was in the finals when Boris Becker lost to John McEnroe, he walked off the court. He yeah. didn't even stay for the presentation. Yeah. I'm like, first of all, A, I know he's a superstar at the time, but how do you not make him come back on the court? Yeah. First of all, I thought that was a real dick move. It from, was a dick move. From beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bjornborg did so not come back to the court. Took a photo with him at Wimbledon and was actually shaking because yeah. I couldn't believe I was meeting my idol and he's just, I don't know, something about Boris Becker that's just, uh, about Bjornborg that is just iconic to me. But I couldn't believe he wasn't made to go back on the court. He was just like, you know what, last, I'm retiring. See ya. I've never even heard of that in the history of tennis. I'm that's sure it's my, happened other places. Martina Hingis tried. Remember Martina Hingis didn't want to go back on what the What happened? Court they chased she, her down and wrangle her like a horse? Pretty, her mom made her come back on the court when she her lost mom. to Steffi Graf in the last... <laughs> Grand Slam that Steffi won when she won that. Was that 99? Remember? Yeah. When she, when she was pissed off about the line call. Yeah, and she yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. She walked around the net. You don't walk around the net. Friggin' lost her mind. And yeah. I have to tell you, Steffi told me because I spoke to Steffi almost immediately after she won that match. And she's like, I was done. Like, I was done. And then she walks around the net and I'm like, what are you doing? You, yeah. you dumb dumb. Like, yeah. And that kind of pissed Steffi off and also pissed the crowd off. And then it just distracted yeah. her. Then it becomes I mean, a different Steffi match. Done and dusted. She retired yeah. like what four weeks, five weeks later. Yeah. And she was like, What is she doing? So that match so Martina Hingis didn't want to come back and her mom basically walked her back and sat with her while she sat for the trophy trophy celebration. I mean, trust me, nobody likes that. There's not one time I've lost in a final where I'm like, Hey guys, happy to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to sit up here. Can't and wait not to sit win, here get the winner's trophy. Watch my opponents just like smile and grin and yeah tell me how great it was and yeah, how yeah, yeah. great hey congrats on getting to the final i want to be like my middle finger up at them <laughs> so that's the one thing about tennis that's so unique but you know you don't see world series or nba or yeah they're not having to sit there through the, the victory speech they're watching them yeah, get yeah, the yeah. trophy no but the Be- the becker documentary had a number it had so many amazing things in it which i think speaks really well for it. it's really a must watch like you it should really watch is. it yeah. i had from a storytelling perspective a lot of issues with it i yeah, don't i don't think it was you a, thought it was it, well i think i think pragmatically it was a product of two different people 
who had sort of two different ideas about the documentary and both of them could have been great ideas about the documentary but together as like a Frankenstein documentary it was not always very clear like I'm not sure it needed to be two almost two hour long episodes it was more than two yeah. oh yeah it was about two hours each. so it's like to- I know, a I total of the- four hours listen nobody wants to see archival beautiful old tennis footage of boris becker playing with steffi graf like just amazing oh, stuff yeah. oh so you're saying you were, there was a there was the tennis part of it and then there was the dramatic part of his yeah. life and you wanted to have them separated a little bit more no i i, I think if you're going to do a documentary you have to you have to set out very clearly with the story that you're trying to tell and have discipline. I think Alex Gibney didn't have enough time to work on this. Is what I think. Oh, I that's think he... interesting. Well, I wish I'd known this. I would have asked him this question. I like. I think it was he was coming from a perspective of being an absolute tennis fan, obviously, because he told me that. Um, and I think he probably he wanted to tell the story from the start of his career to the end of his career, which I were, love. Which were there were so many unbelievable storylines. Like, and I grew up. Boris is what five six six years older than me so he was really a superstar when I was just starting to be quite a good junior um so he was like iconic to us because we were like what was I 12 and he was winning Wimbledon I was like wait what he just won Wimbledon I'm like what am I doing with my life kind of thing you know um so I think there was that whole storyline about how good he was from such a young age and he was such a little hothead on the court blah 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 and then you have to talk about the stresses of being such a superstar at such a young age. So I think he intertwined that. I thought, for me as a layman, you're a little bit more critical because you look at things a little differently to me, but I kind of liked that we learned so much about him being such a little shyster as well as being a little bit crazy slash, man, he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And then he had all these hangers on her around him. Yeah, 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 bad advisors. The dude was like, listen, I'm happy to like drop all this if you come back to me. Yeah. You know, he's terrible advisors. I like, mean, listen, when you're an athlete and you trust somebody with your money, that can really go one of two ways, can it? Like, I mean, Ian Tyrak was the one that should have just hit. Ian Tyrak was kind of the hero of this yeah, documentary, along with Barbara Becker. Barbara Becker was awesome. I was like, well, Barbara this Becker woman's a awesome. goddess. Boris, the tragedy of this film is that Boris Becker fucked it up with Barbara Becker. Yeah, I agree. That's, she was cool. He's not going to do better than that. She like, was cool. She's amazing. Shit. And I actually I've met her a couple of times. She's terrific yeah so anyway. but no i really loved it i think for me the the part that i didn't love is just you foreground the trial it becomes like sort of a true crime story yeah and the true crime is not that bad you like, want to you want to take over that house in mallorca i know you do oh sure i remember at the time we were thinking about doing a story a racket piece about the squatters who li- took over his yeah, mallorca house and I just turned into, that like that was just bananas so yeah so much great material i'm not you know i don't hate it i don't think it's bad i'm a big fan of alex skibney taxi to the dark side jigsaw like you know blah 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 i just think the documentary was not like it was not the most disciplined sharp version of what i wanted to see that said tennis doesn't have a lot of documentaries good bad or mediocre and so just please keep them coming and to, to me the greatest achievement was that alex skibney managed to do this and to boris becker's credit managed to both be as honest as I think he was capable of being. Barbara didn't think so. Sure. (laughs) But also people who are sort of narcissist. Tend to to tell some tales of the the crypt. They disassemble and see the world in their way that because they have to. But I do think it was really a credit to everyone involved that he didn't insist on being an executive producer. Yeah. Because when you get the athlete as executive producer. Disaster. It's just... It becomes well, a it's, kid glove exercise. And then what are we doing? You want me to watch a commercial for somebody? No, I want to watch. Don't bother making it if you're not going to make it good. And I think anybody who really has integrity knows that even if it doesn't make them look great, it will make them look real. And I think there's value in that. And I think Boris Becker trusted Alex Gibney to make him look like a real human. He looked like a real human. And I, I had more admiration for him than, than when I started, which was saying a lot because, you know, I'm a massive Boris Becker fan. Yes, you are. So, and I love that you posted the photo of you at Wimbledon <laughs> that I took. You took. Um, I took a great photo, but you happened to close your fucking eyes. I don't know if by definition that's a great photo. Well, it is because it was, he was, he looked fantastic. And you, <laughs> you fantastic. were like so cheesed cheesy that you were like oh yeah you had your eyes closed and you probably you said something like that like oh, i'm so and then i took the photo so it's kind of your fault so sorry anyway i loved uh the doco so for those of you that uh, listen to our podcast it's no surprise that caitlin and i differ on our opinion of it <laughs> i think we both feel like it's a must watch though yeah no there's there's no question about it um and alex gibney what does he say he says that documentaries um can't be objective no they can't yeah, they're so. the, the they're the 
viewpoint of the filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite documentary filmmaker, Werner Herzog, yeah. believes that documentaries can't always be true, but they can always get at an ecstatic truth, something that sort of is closer to the truth because it's a little bit obje- like subjective. Yeah. And I, without subjecting you to more Thank you. film criticism, Bloody what hell. I would say is, um, you know, there were moments in this documentary that were really brilliant that I absolutely loved. Yeah. I do want to say, having had a two episode run where we kind of just really get into the meat and potatoes of some of the stuff that is frustrating is we've gotten a ton of feedback from listeners actually tweets dms comments on our apple reviews i kind of forget our apple reviews exist although you should totally talk about the one woman i absolutely hate it to caitlin where the the listener thank you because you loved me but uh, you don't really like the old ct um and you know and she I was like why you. does this lady need to be on here why can't why this just can't be renee just be talking Ryan? all the time and i i, I would mean, say I to you you know what with you. it can be everyone who's given us feedback a lot of people in the industry have written to say thank you for saying this this is so frustrating we wish this would be better and i really do want this to be both a place that speaks truth to power because as i noted on our last episode this is an independent operation we are not owned and therefore not necessarily beholden to any employer and then the other thing i would say is we want it to be better that's the whole point of this we want want it to be better better. and i want the people who maybe casually come in because they watch the boris becker documentary or they've seen breakpoint on netflix please write us they're excited about who comes after serena williams or roger federer and they are now into tennis but we have made it so impossible for them to take their next step that's really the point of this if we were in europe watching this on sky on uh the bbc etc Eurosport. You know this would be on every bar as we walk by. This oh, would be yeah. on on every main channel. And so it's just basic stuff like this. Like I was in Spain for a week. Tennis was constantly on the television. And not because there was a tournament in Spain, but because tennis is seen as popular as the NBA. And there's always a game to be, to be had in season. You know? So I just, I really want the powers that be to be focused on this sort of stuff and not being like Vichy France selling out to other non-sports entities. So I, I just want to, it's Jane underscore... <laughs> via Apple Podcasts. Do you want me to read the whole thing? I mean, sure. Go ahead. In general, this podcast is great. And I understand that its affiliation with Racket Magazine is why Caitlin Thompson is a part of it. I won't keep go reading. on, go on. No, it's no, you just now you got to the good uh, part. No, you're going to uh, do it. It's do just it. A, you know the, the one word in it that was uh, highlighted and made large was alone, Renee. So. Uh, Jane, here's the thing. It's really hard to talk on a podcast all by yourself. So uh, as <laughs> much as I like to listen to my own voice, it's uh, it's I'm, a lot more fun to, to do it with Caitlin because she's a pain in the ass. Um, I'm just here. Uh, any breathing sentient human would do. So if you want to come and be a guest uh, Jane, on the show. Caitlin does all the editing and <laughs> no, sort of all the hard it's work. Fine. So I really just it's need fine. her Actually, uh, to I was do like, you know what? Maybe now's a good time to <laughs> take my retirement. I, I, think, uh, I think your response to me when I sent you that uh, was uh, fine. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I've had a rough couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so let's get to uh, the tennis. Let's get to Stu- Stuttgart. Get, yes, get to? I want to get to Stuttgart. I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, Stuttgart was fantastic. There was one really horror story that came out of it, and that is once again the injury to Anshibur, who was starting to look really, really good. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that she came back a little bit too early in Miami and Indian Wells, and she talked about that, but then bang, wins the tournament in Charleston, and you're like, okay, she needed a couple of weeks, she needed more preparation in matches, okay, she's back on clay where she's a freaking nightmare because you got to run down her drop shots and she can toy with you and all the things, right? And then all of a sudden she moves through and wins a tournament, and you're like, fuck, you know, how happy is everybody? I mean, literally there's not a person on tour that – that doesn't like her. I think there's not a person who follows tennis that doesn't like I her. I can prove to you why I know that she's one player that is literally liked by everybody. Why? How? Think about this. Think about a match that she played in Stuttgart where she was down a set and heavily in the second set to Ostapenko. Everyone's favorite. Okay. Other favorite. Elena Ostapenko. We all know that Elena is a bit of a loner when it mm-hmm. comes to not wanting to be Uh, super gracious with the handshakes. We know that she's uh, been a little bit of a person that's um, become a bit of a meme with uh, her handshakes or her lack of or... Not a locker room favorite. Her bitching about a call every... On every third shot, I would say. I'm sure the chair umpires are also like... Oh my God, they must get her matches and just be like, thank God we have electronic line calling. (laughs) 
I'm she here loses for it, to yes. Anjabur and literally Anz is like puts her hand out and Anz hugs everybody, by the way. And Ons puts her hands out to shake hand, knowing that Alona, oh, hope I get a handshake, you know, because that was a bad loss. She should have won that match. And she puts her arms out because she wants a hug from Ons. That's not the version of events that I saw, but I love your interpretation. What did you see? I saw Ons insisting on hugging no. her and just going past the nope. hand and bringing her in like a bear hug. Nope. Look at it again. Ons we'll have to go literally to had her hand to shake hands. You're saying it was Alona Ostapenko's idea yes. to hug Ons Well, thousand percent. She puts her arms out together and kind of looks at Ons like, oh, I'm not going to get a hug. And Ons <laughs> is like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. And then Ons goes in and hugs her and then is very nice. But there is no doubt. Watch it in slow-mo a hundred times. And I've actually watched it so many times to make sure that I was right. I thought it was a power move, she but literally, I'm going to have no, to reappraise this. Like going in with a nice handshake and probably the tap on the shoulder move. Yep. And Alonica's in there with the two arms out like, oh, now you're not going to hug yeah, me? Yeah, you're going mean, to you only give me a handshake? So, that... Um, so that just proves to me that Ons is literally the nicest person on tour. But, man, three love in the first set against... I was so looking forward to this match against Iga. Yeah, me too. A, re- a repeat of the... U.S. Open final, a yep. very, very anticipated on clay where they both love to bring their best tennis. Yep. Um, I, I think Ons is for sure a better all-court all player than Iga at this point as far as we know that Iga's still going to struggle a little bit on grass and on a really super fast court, although she won the U.S. Open last year. But I was so looking forward to it because it was going to be another litmus test for both of them in a lot of ways, right? Where was Ons really at playing the best clay quarter in the world where is eager against a player that can play on all surfaces particularly a faster indoor court with her variety bringing ons into the court into the net maybe where she's not overly comfortable um i was pumped about it and then bang that happened and it is no joke an injury you cannot yeah, play calf tear doesn't feel no. like no and, it, and it's a good. tear it's not a it's not a uh, strain yeah. which i was hoping for uh, but it came back with a little bit of a, a tear. So that's a disaster. And I actually texted on and I said, mate, listen, there's one thing that you cannot come back too early on. That has to be healed 100%. Yeah. Because calf muscles are a bitch. And they, if they come back, they can be really, really bad. That's a bummer because obviously she was defending mm. the Madrid. title at Madrid. Yep. And for me, her chances at Roland Garros were good. Were good. Very good. Really good. Yep. She was playing into form, as you said, Agreed. and really you know, looking dangerous after yep. that Charleston run. Yep. So, yeah, I'm pretty bummed. I'm uh, very bummed. That we didn't get, I hope, do you think the French Open I, I honestly likely, right? Listen, I'm no doctor, and I didn't stay at a I'm holiday not last a doctor. night. Um, <laughs> but I will go on a limb and say I will be shocked if we see her in Roland Garros. Yeah. Because, only because it is such a, I mean, now, normally a tear is at least two weeks of no activity. Yeah. I tore my quad. Um, I had a grade one tear, and I, I don't know what her grade is, but I I think it might be sort of something like a grade one. I had to do two weeks of absolutely nothing on my quad, and it's the same with the calf. I mean, you've got to be really careful. So I'd say she's doing nothing for two weeks. Then she has to do at least a week or two of getting back slowly. I know Simona Halep, for example, she did her calf muscles well and it was a nightmare for yeah. her for a long time. Um, and then you've got to build it up slowly and then you've got to get strong again and then you've got to get back into moving at 100%. That's going to be weeks and that's weeks not, and weeks. That's not Roland Garros so, time frame. And Caitlin, you have to remember, she's got finals at Wimbledon. She won a, I think she won a lead-up tournament going to Wimbledon last year. Um if not, she did very well. And then finals, the U.S. Open. All her points are yeah, coming Yeah, she's got a lot of points all, all to defend. All points are already coming off 1,000 in Madrid. Yeah. But the rest of her majority of massive points are coming off Wimbledon, U.S. Open. So yeah. she's got to be very smart about how she goes forward in knowing that Wimbledon might be the more important tournament for her at this stage because she didn't do that great at the French Open last year. Oh, I think she lost first round. Remember, she came in yeah, after she winning did. Madrid and it was like she's going to win the tournament right. and blah, 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 yeah. her and Iga, and then boom, she lost first round. So that is a massive help for her in some ways. Yeah. But at the same time, she could have made up a lot of points there as well. So I'm, I'm bummed. She's obviously, as I said, one of the great people on the tour. Assets. I uh, mean, she's, she's fun. She's such an asset. She sells she's so tickets. fun. She sells tickets. She brings the people together. Mm. She's the only person my mother-in-law cares about. Mm. You know, yeah. this lady doesn't watch tennis. Yeah. She wants to watch the Tunisian Minister of Happiness, though. Yep. You know what I mean? She brings the people together. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, but having said that, we had a final. We had a final. Uh... It was not as close as the score would indicate. Mm-mm, no. Sabalenka was not really in that final. No. And uh, even in the second set, like, there was opportunities for um, Eager to go up another break. And then uh, it, was, it was nice to see Sabalenka fight, you know, in those service games. But And then on, I have to say, Eager had – sorry, Eager had uh, a couple of break points against her. Like, Sabalenka had an opportunity maybe early in the second after she lost that early break in the second set to get back on score uh, – on. I think it was Love 30 at One Love. Could have won that game. Maybe righted the ship a little bit. But this was more a litmus test for me for Eager in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. because, you know, indoors is a whole different story, right? Even on clay. um, Sabalenka is a better indoor player, I would say. You know, she doesn't have the the wind or the sun or she can just bang down a big serve, bang down a couple of big groundies and, you know – Eager's so good on clay because she can defend so well. And on that court in Stuttgart, it's quite slippery. It's faster than a normal clay court. We've seen a lot of terrible injuries traditionally in Stuttgart, right? A couple. A yeah. couple. It, that doesn't necessarily help a really great mover, for example, yeah. um, because you know even for them it's tough to defend on a court that's quite slippery. So I just thought, okay, this is a t- time for Sabalenka to actually beat Eager on clay. Um, and so for me, for Eager to win in straight sets, that's a great sign for her and a terrible terrible one for everybody on tour because I don't see her losing outdoors on clay. Um, Madrid's never been a good hunting ground for her. She, it's I don't too think she's high. Even been I think to the, the final. Yeah. Um, because the altitude really helps a big server and a big hitter. Um, although Halep won Madrid a couple of years ago. So I, for me, um, that was a big win for Iga because I think if she had lost to Sabalenka on clay, even if it was indoors, I think she would have been like, man, this is not going so great. I I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, which is somebody was making a comparison on Twitter. Uh, I think it was uh, Miles David. Uh, is Iga Sviantek this generation's Justine Henna? And Justine Henna was my favorite player Ooh. of all time. Um, and I would say the difference is that Henna was fun to watch. And I don't think Iga's that fun to watch. She's okay. It's okay. Okay, so I'll disagree with you on that. And I think one of the reasons why you loved Justine is because she had the one-handed backhand and there was that whole, like, sort of... I, you know what's funny? It's that everybody loved her one-handed backhand. I never really loved it. I mean, it was great because I was a one-hander and I loved that we had this beautiful, like, player ripping out one-handers and slices. But I thought her backhand was very... was like a conniption fit. You know, it was like, boom! You know, and her head would... Uh, it, it's comparative to Amalia Moresmo's backhand mm-hmm. and uh, Suarez Navarro's backhand. Beautiful backhands. Like Vavrinka's backhand. It's just that flowing, gorgeous, like, movement, like Federer. Whereas Justine's was violent. It was a violent one-hander. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, take a look at it yeah, again in slow no, motion. It wasn't a pretty one. It was very effective, though. Um, I think you liked it because she was kind of an all-court player, like to come into the net, whereas... Eager is a little bit more your traditional baseliner. But I don't know. I've been on the practice court with her so many times. So I can admire her ball striking sure. and her intensity. Lots to admire. She's the closest person I've seen to someone like Steffi on the court where everything is fast. Her warm-up is fast. Her, like, little foot action before she goes to shake hand, like, you know, toss the coin and running back. And she's just, like, you know, like a little – crazy person mm-hmm. that's how Steffi was you know just everything was fast every warm-up was fast the feet were fast 
Um, so I, I disagree with you in a little way because I kind of like to watch her play because I'm like, what the hell is she going to hit here? Yeah. You know, and her sliding and her... No, it's it's very competent and it's obviously very, very, very effective. I don't know what she was thinking when she ran into the net on that one ball though and then Sabalenka tried well, to take her head off. that's something else where you're kind of like, there's a little bit of sportsmanship with her with the frog where she was sort of waving the hands while somebody was hitting a put-away volley and then this she one... She just loses her mind for a second. I think it's juniors. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think know. that's a junior's move. If you know. go in and your opponent has a sitter and you're going to try to distract them. And the thing with Sabalenka is you have to be fucking crazy to run towards her teeing up on a ball. And people were noting on the internet that she very, very, very nearly got hit. And yeah. if she had, it would have 1000% been her fault. Yeah. Sabalenka is not looking to peg yeah. her. And yeah. just as a... The one thing I will add is just as a veteran of junior tennis and college tennis, there's some elements to Iga's game that are like that. Yeah. And it works, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't serve to endear you to people. Like, is Iga a locker room favorite? Does she, do people like her? She's so shy. She's shy. Listen, I obviously know her very well. We've had a lot of nice conversations and um, I like her a lot. She's a really, really, really nice kid. Um, very, very shy, very shy. Doesn't speak to a lot of people, only because she thinks that they don't want to talk to her. It's got nothing to do with her being a bitch at all. Um, but that move, I was like, what was that? But what was interesting to me is that Mark Petchy, who was doing the in, he was doing the commentary by himself um, on that match. A women's final. Even though it was a final. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. Uh, was really kind of pissed off at, at Sabalenka. He's like, well, I can't believe... You know, what? I was like, what What are you talking about? Like, if anything, you should have been like, what the hell was... Dar- was uh, It was eager thinking running into the yeah. net like that. And frankly, I think it was a good move for Sabalenka to be like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. listen, I'm... I was a good sport on court, but if you'd ran at me like that, I'd take your head off as well. For because sure. you're trying to distract me. That's what you're trying so to... So I'm going to take your head off. So yeah. I, I thought that was a very interesting take from Petchy conversation I'll have with him when I bump into him I'm like really didn't you think that that was more eager being just a, a ding dong yeah it was a ding dong move for sure a ding-dong move. for sure um and everyone was like Ooh. I'm like why would you run into the net on a that's like the that? dumbest thing I ever give a death wish? I mean it's one thing when it's curious trying to be a ding dong like and running in sure like, you know trying to put his racket up against his face right like we've all seen players do that it's kind of a bit of a joke but eager's not a joker no so that was yeah that was and I I love you, uh, Iga, but that was – what is that? Yeah, there's a bit of a cringe thing with yeah, her where she's kind of like, ugh. I did like the dr- driver, the car driving Yeah, after the match. She looked though. like a maniac. Yeah. Men. Botich van der Schlup. Van der Schlup. Van der Schlup. Match points in that final. really, really big-time choking. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, Rune is great, and he, he clearly, clearly he down and out in the third deserves he's like, to be at the top of the game, which is where he finds himself. But but why is Rune looking like he's been shot in every single match that he plays these days? Like he's got a cramp, or he's got something wrong with this, and he's calling the trainer out here, and he's calling the trainer out there. And it's just like, oh, my God, you're carrying you're like on 19. like a pork chop a little. Like, what the hell? Like, stop carrying on like a pork chop. But, you know, your reputation now is preceding you, right? Yeah. And so he's not – he's turning into, like, the new – shall we say it? Yeah. Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic. Where he's like, gonna be, this kid's going to be great. Yeah. He's going to be great. But he's like not starting out on a, a good uh, footing with the public and with the players um, in this respect. And like, what are you doing? I can't. I mean, I just want to say I, because the other men's final was between two of my favorite players. Yes. Stefano Tsitsipas and Carlos Alcaraz. And I will say, I think Tsitsipas gets a lot of shit. Yeah, for carrying on like a pork chop, but not remotely does he carry on like a rune. No, he doesn't. No, no, he no. Sitsipas's shit has come from um, having an insane dad. The dad who is insane, and I'll say it, and I'll say it again. And how many times have I said it on the podcast? Numerous times. He will never win a grand slam with his dad coaching yeah, him. Sure, or in his box. I just I'm no, sorry, it's, it's just not going to happen. You could say the, the same toxicity thing. Toxicity between yeah. them is palpable. Yeah, and it's obvious to see, and it's holding him back him. because he should have probably at least one grand slam right now well yeah for sure so anyway um alcaraz was too good um but going back to rune back to rune um yeah i mean he just carries on and and botek is just losing his mind but dude 
uh, when he had six, finally got back to six five, serving for it up forty fifteen. He looked over at his box and it was like he'd seen a ghost. Mm. I and st- I don't know what it is. I don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, Caitlin. <laughs> is that true? But I do when it comes to watching tennis, and I can f- pinpoint someone shitting their pants yeah, just in a freaking second, yeah. right? And I could tell his breathing got short. Yeah, he looked at his box, and I was like, "Oh my god, if he doesn't win this match right here, it's right over. now, yeah. it's over." Yeah, I could tell. Uh, and Runa hits back, kind of an okay shot to the middle of the court, and I swear to God, it looked like Botic couldn't move. It was yeah. like it was like cement went around his legs. And he Brutal. couldn't even get out of the way of the ball. And he missed the ball by like, no, no, 20 feet. And I went, oh, my God, it's over. It's if over. Renee can literally yep. hit the ball in the court and make this guy have to hit a winner. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy has to hit a winner because there's no way that he's winning this match unless he hits a winner. Because Renee's not going to miss now because he's just looked down the other end and seen the guy just absolutely literally cement in his legs, yeah. even though apparently Renee was also struggling with whatever uh-huh. this one time. <laughs> I was like, it's over. And then he gets the tie break and he just looks over at his crew and he just starts shaking his head. I was like, this is so dumb. Oh, it was brutal to it watch. It was brutal to watch. It was brutal to watch because you knew what was happening and there was nothing anybody could do. Most importantly, him. He should have served and anything. volleyed on both points. Maybe, yeah. To just maybe just get a change mistake. it up and get a... Knowing that you're shitting yourself yeah. like that. End the point quickly. Just go for it. Go for a big serve. Yeah. Try and hope that the guy returns the ball down the middle of the court, which often, particularly on the backhand side... Most do because they're trying to get the ball back deep. Yeah, cross court. not necessarily. That's why Martina in Hingis used to serve and volley on the biggest points because she knew her opponents were going to hit the ball through the middle. Yeah, they'll play safe. Right. And Smart. she could just hit that little inside out back and volley Bloop. and win. How many points? So, yeah, that was some serious choking. Oof. But Rene, hey, he is making a mark. I'm a little worried about Sinner. He keeps getting these sicknesses. I know, What's going Sinner. On I know. I, this is really, I feel like his time to shine. Coming I into well, this. I think he's played enough tennis that he's going to be a real threat, obviously, going forward. We'll see how – I think he's going to be a real threat here in Madrid because yeah. his game suits this surface and the altitude a little bit more because he can smack the shit out of the ball. Yeah. And I think he'll get rewarded for that a little bit more. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he plays here in Madrid. We say here because we're, we're watching it because there's actually tennis on. It's finally tennis on the, t- the TV. Um Okay, so looking forward, we obviously have still a few weeks left to go before the next slam. For me, this is the most exciting time of the year. I love Madrid. I love Barcelona. I love uh, Rome is going to be coming up. It's just, it's like an embarrassment of riches. The courts just aesthetically look so good. We get great points. People like Alejandro Davidovich Fokina all of a sudden become like relevant again, which I love. You know, I'd love to see him do really well year round. You know what I'm saying? Just, it, it's such a special time of the year that i'm really excited about. i know you love the clay i do i love the clay i love the clay too i i i I find it really fun to watch matches i like the grind yeah i would like if the men's uh french open was best of three i think we'd probably have a better winner the last thing i'll ask you about and this concerns both spaniards both with some interesting injury contexts obviously i think the the favorite for any really especially given his history um you know Novak Djokovic typically does not play very well at the beginning of the clay season and then all of a sudden becomes like a very big threat at Roland Garros because he's obviously optimizing and places like Monte Carlo and Barcelona and Madrid are not exactly to his liking I would say Rafa Nadal obviously has our sort of favorite and then there's Carlitos Carlitos which, looking good Carlitos is looking great I hope he stays injury-free and Rafa's maybe not going to play. I don't know. What do you think? I – this is um, – yeah. I don't know. I mean, Rafa's injury is ongoing, obviously. He's not where back where he wants to be and needs to be. It is a pretty bad injury that he had. Talk about tears. Yeah. As I'm saying about, you know, someone like Ons. You can't just – a tear doesn't just repair itself in – a week, you know what I mean? It takes time to get the fibers back together to make the muscle strong, and then you've got to work around all the muscles around it that have been basically atrophying around that injury. So for Rafa, it's a concern in a huge way. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't play Rome, that's a huge tell, um, and he knows he has to go best of five at the French Open against these great players. And look, you know, he went through his struggles last year to win his 14th French Open Unreal. insane to say. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a very big concern. I think Alcaraz, hopefully, fingers crossed, 
touch wood that he's back um, at 100%. And we'll see how he does here in Madrid as well, physically. And yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mind scratcher when it comes to Rafa, and uh, it's a bit of a bummer. Whereas Novak, as you said, he'll find his form. He'll be there. Don't worry. Grand Slams are he'll where he finds his best. He'll and be there. He knows that these guys have to beat him in five sets, best of five sets. And he knows that they know. Yeah. That's the thing about him. Yeah. He gets more powerful the further behind in a match he yeah. gets. That's when he said it's most dangerous. Yeah. You know? I mean, Ask him- Stefanos Tsitsipas about all about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Lahajovic, who yeah. won in uh, Serbia, beating... Shout Kovac out to him. Taking the title. Cool. Way to go, bro. Like, yeah. honestly. Never had out- a victory against Novak and then at his home event. I know. Had no support against Novak. Amazing. Because was rooting for Novak. And then he goes on to win the tournament. Against awesome. some great players, including Rublev in the final, who was, you know, obviously on fire. So that was an awesome effort. I love to see that. And, you know, at a 250, it's a small tournament, but still that's huge for him. For sure. Speaking of 250s. Okay, we- this is the last note that I think we should go out on because we can't leave without a little bit more complaining, which I know what you're going to say, and I agree with you already. What about the WTA apparently taking no top 30 players allowed to play in 250s. Explain what that means for our audience in a more granular way for people who don't maybe follow the tour as closely as possible. So the WTA have rules when it comes to certain tournaments and how big they are. 250 is the smallest WTA sanctioned event. We have 125s, but they're in the challenger level. Uh, 250, 500, 1000s. Those are the three categories on the WTA tour. Um, and then obviously there's slams, which is not mandated by, which are not put on by the yeah, but tour. Just to differentiate, the ATP and WTA 1000s events are the biggest ones. They get a thousand points to win the tournament. That's just easier way to put it. They win 250 to win a 250. They win 500 points to win a 500. And at a Grand Slam, it's 3,000. So it's three times the amount of a Masters or WTA 1000, which is why it's so important to win those big tournaments because that's where the points really lie, and obviously the prize money. So the WTA are taking it upon themselves apparently in the future that they're not going to allow top 30 players to play in the 250 events. Now, I think one of the reasons is they want to make sure, for example, if there's a 500 and a 250 on at the same time or overlapping or whatever, they want the players to be more condensed, the top players, into the 500s, which I get in some way that you want to support the tournaments that are putting up more money and more risk and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to... Say to a player, look, you can't play the 250, particularly if it's in your own city. For example, Tunisia, you know, and you're telling Anjibur she can't play there. And or she's going to have to go play Ch- a 1,000 in China instead yeah. of her home event that was Which, exists because of her. Yeah, and brings tennis to her part of the world. Or if you're a Czech player, you want to play a 250 at your tournament in Prague. Uh, and how many top 30 Czech players do we have? Yeah, many. 20. They're not going to be allowed to play that tournament now. Instead, they're going to have to go and play a 500 somewhere else. But the thing that I'm... Why did they make this rule? I don't know, Caitlin. I, I really don't know. I think it's, as I said, maybe to support the tournaments that are putting on bigger tournaments, more money to say, hey... To make sure they get the stars. To make sure they get the stars and not the smaller tournaments. I'm, I'm assuming that's one of the reasons. But, but keep in mind, there was also a rule that you can only have X amount of top 30 players at a 250. So you can't have... 10 you can only have like say two i don't know what the exact rule this is, is. I so probably stupid figured that out before i this is so stupid decided to talk about this no but it, it I, the reason i think they're doing it i think is probably what you said which is to preserve the value of those big tournaments so that they guarantee that all the stars come and they're not just vulturing points by going and playing down essentially in a smaller event when they should be at the bigger event but also i think the real issue is there's not enough tournaments there's both yeah. there's both too many tournaments in my macro re-envisioning of tennis, but there's not enough tournaments. So somehow when we had the first week of clay season, we had one tournament for women yep. and three tournaments for men. Yep. That is not the only week or two week period on the calendar where that happens. It's a stark, stark amount of inequality. Yeah. Right? I mean, I had conversations with tournament directors at certain tournaments that were putting on a 250, for example. And um, I remember he said to me, yeah, but I'm not gonna, they're not going to allow me to have a top 30 player play in this tournament now. Which is crazy. Cause, and, he, and this person wanted to put on a bigger tournament, but he wasn't allowed to put on a bigger tournament because it was a tournament that was a little bit bigger than his at another place. And it's like, what are you trying to grow the sport? Or are you trying to like stifle it? Because at this point, for example, I'm just going to give you an example, right? This 
week alone, the 24th of April, correct? Is that the date today? Yes. In On the ATP Challenger and WTA 125, so they're the same, this week there is an ATP tournament in Seoul, there is an ATP tournament in Ostrava, in the Czech Republic. There is an ATP challenger in Rome. There is an ATP challenger in Savannah, Georgia. And there is an ATP challenger in Buenos Aires. Do you know what there is on the WTA tour? Nunca, no. nothing, nothing, nada. Sp- yeah. Blah. Brutal. Brutal. Zero. Right. Zero. Okay? Not one. So the men have five challenges. The women have zero. So Which, if you were like, hey, I'm Renee Stubbs, I am going to put on a women's 250 this week I in the East Village, just for fun, you couldn't. Yeah, apparently. They wouldn't let you. Uh, I guess. And you, shouldn't, you couldn't get any players. You couldn't call up your friends and say, hey, come play my fun tournament. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's in New York. Yeah. This, and it's the same next week, Caitlin. Third yeah. of, April, it happens third a of lot. April. It happens on every level of the tour. For the men, Houston, Marrakesh. Oh, that'd be nice. I'd love to be in Marrakesh Esteril, right now. Yeah. Monte Carlo. Um, yeah, it, this it's, is... This was last week, This sorry. was the week we were talking about. Yeah, last week it was Houston, Marrakesh, Esterol, Monte Carlo was the 1,000, Barcelona was the next week. So there was three, four, and there was zero on the women's. So whenever we make a complaint, I like to think that we are able to offer a solution. And for me, I don't know that we can fix the challenger circuit, which is the level before sort of the, the pros... But I think one thing I is becoming increasingly clear to me that we have to have a outside body, not one of the seven governing bodies, but an outside body reassess what the tour is. Is it 10 really great events in really great cities with really great support, mm-hmm. advertisers, TV deals, guarantees to see the, the biggest number of entrants mm-hmm. with organization where everybody knows uh what the experience is going to be like that is what i would love to see us do i'd like to see it be like formula one Mm -hmm. there's not a race for 11 months of the year there's only a race during the season but each one is incredible everybody does each one and each of the cities in which there's a race is an incredible event yeah i mean i know there's a lot of losers in that equation but for me having fewer more important tournaments taking some of the points away from the slams making those not the only emphasis of the tournaments, which I think is to everybody's detriment, honestly, and making there a little bit more parity so that it's a actual tour uh, where everyone's not just scattered to the wind, scrambling and, and striving and uh, flying every which way logistically and probably extending their seasons too long, getting hurt, um, you know, flying across time zones that don't make any sense. Like, I would like for somebody to just sit down and be like, okay, you know what? We're going to shorten the season, but actually beef up what exists and make it logical. That doesn't address a lot of all of this, but to me, that's the obvious solution that tennis has to go towards. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not throwing anything out, like, uh, solution-wise at this point. I'm just here to... I'm just... I'm just here to blame people. I play the... The angry lady, <laughs> and you play the solutions lady. See, no, what is Jane going to do when she comes and guests yeah, on this Jane, podcast? Are you going to have solutions? Jane, what Jane? do I do in this situation? No, but seriously, like my my frustration is okay. If you're gonna, if you're going to do things like this, like again, transparency. Why? Yeah, Why? we didn't uh, get an there. answer. Right? Why? I mean, you're I good. That's a good point. Officially announced, I guess. But I want to know why, and I also want answers to those questions that i'm asking again are people wanting to put on 250s are people wanting to put on 125s around the country and are they being stopped because of it are we not why are we not finding the sponsors um i don't know anyway that's an ongoing story that is going to continue but i think i did send you a a a, a, you know screenshot of the week no it's not and and i was just like this is why women don't get equal pay yeah because there's not enough tournaments and the tournaments that do exist don't always pay them equally and because we're clinging to old formats so blow it all up i say blow it all up blow it all up um can we end on that note uh we can end on that note um you're so angry still and you no, have so I'm many more angry. things to I really say am not. i really am not <laughs> I, i've come back from Car- carbo I'm, I'm i'm relaxed i had a great time in mexico <laughs> 
I'm all good. <laughs> okay. um, although my flight back was a nightmare. Sure. And it just ruined well, we my whole cannot, trip. You cannot be one of those people who complains about... You no, can I'm complain not, about I'm flights not. on Twitter, but you I'm cannot not, complain I'm about not, it on this podcast. I was, it, was, it was for my own safety because we had really bad weather here in New York on the day that I was coming back. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, send us your ideas, actually. Uh, yeah, that, tweets. we'll turn this we, to like to hear constructive it. criticism. Yeah, I mean, even if they blast Caitlin and love on me i'm i'm all i'm good with she it. loves it only send them if you are going to compliment renee i think it's my accent he's <laughs> probably i think i went on that department all right thank um, you for listening yeah thanks guys for listening and we're going to keep an eye on everything madrid for you and we're going to get you ramped up for rome and because rome to me is the real indicator of who's going to play well at the french it's also opinion. cool and, and it's cool and uh maybe should we pop over for the weekend yeah I haven't been to Rome in a long time. Yeah, we have a friend. I have a friend, Esther Pardegas, who yeah. our friend, the sculptor, who's uh, won the Rome Prize. She's currently there with her family. She keeps saying, "Come visit." Does she have a big house? She's staying in a uh, subsidized art housing. Oh, okay. Well, we'll be. So yeah. Oh, uh, housing. We hear housing, and it doesn't sound confidence no, it inspiring. Doesn't. I don't think it's like a five star hotel. Yeah, no. But okay. I think they have. I think I'll look up at my own Airbnb. Anyway, <laughs> okay. everyone, thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week to wrap up everything from Madrid, etc. Complain about some more, more drama. Things. And, uh, you know, it's not Craig compl- complains like Craig Shapiro, but uh, it's what is. that point. But All right, is. guys, we love you. Thanks for joining us today. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.